0: Chapter Seventeen of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen Foraging for Food. Fred's fear was that if any of the Apaches were near at hand, they would hear the beating of his heart, so intense was his excitement and anxiety. But delay seemed only to increase it, and pressing close to the corner, he removed his cap and stealthily shoved his head forward until he could look along the other side. At the first glance he jerked back as if he had caught the flash of a rifle aimed at him, for the sight that he gazed upon was startling enough. Within ten feet of him sat an Indian warrior, his knees gathered up, his back against the arch, and his head bowed as if in slumber. The lad's first supposition was that the redskin was waiting for him and had seen his head as it was thrust forward and drawn back again, but as he listened there was no sound to betray any movement, and when he recalled the terrifying picture that caught his eye he remembered that the face of the warrior was not turned toward him, so that it was hardly to be supposed that he could have observed the stealthy movement. By carefully considering the matter and reassuring himself— Fred soon gained sufficient courage to repeat the attempt. This time, after pushing his head forward enough to see the redskin, he held it motionless sufficiently long to take in the entire picture. The first thing which impressed itself upon his mind was the fact that the Indian was not an Apache, or at least did not belong to the trio which had had him in charge. His dress and make-up were altogether different, and he clearly belonged to another tribe. The truth of it was, he was a Kiowa, and his attitude was that of a sleeping person. A dirty blanket was gathered about his shoulders and his head, with its straggling horsehair covering drooped so far forward that the line of the face was at right angles with that of the chest. The updrawn knees were separated enough to permit a long, gleaming rifle to rest between them the barrel partly supported by the shoulder, with the stock at his feet, while if the aquiline nose, clear-cut against the dim fire beyond, had descended three or four inches lower it would have been shut off from view by the same knees. The blanket was thrown back far enough to reveal the body, legs, and moccasins of the warrior which were those of a man of powerful frame and great activity. The campfire had smoldered as though it had not been replenished for hours. Still it diffused a steady subdued glow from the other side of the figure, as if the latter were stamped in ink, and the picture was a striking one in every respect. After Fred had scrutinized it a few minutes he gathered more courage and took in the surroundings. These were not very extensive, but such as they were they were of a hopeful nature. Just in front of the sleeping Indian were several objects lying upon the leaves which he was certain were the bones of some animal, most probably a deer or buffalo. "'And if they are, there's meat upon them,' was the consideration of the lad who smacked his lips in anticipation. "'That might be. But how were they to be obtained? That was the all-important question.' It was not to be supposed that the most skillful scout in the West could creep up to the feet of a sleeping Kiowa and gather some food without an almost certainty of detection. But for the fact that Fred was so hungry, nothing could have induced him to make the attempt. As it was, he believed that he could succeed. At any rate, he resolved that the attempt should be made. Maybe he'll wake up. "'And turn over,' reflected the boy, as he fixed his eyes upon the Kiowa and watched him like a cat waiting for a mouse to come within its reach. "'I wonder whether Indians snore,' added Fred, a moment later. "'I can't hear him breathe. And yet his chest seems to rise and sink just as regular as anybody's.' Some ten minutes more waiting brought the boy to the second crisis in his perilous undertaking— With another ejaculated prayer, he crept out from the rock and moved toward the feast as he believed it to be. He knew where the fragments lay, and heading in that direction, he moved carefully forward while he kept his eyes fixed upon that dreaded redskin, who certainly seemed a remiss sentinel when in an enemy's country. Only a few feet interposed, and these were speedily passed over, and Fred stretched out his hand. To lay it upon what seemed the greatest prize of his life. So indeed it proved. The Kiowas at some time during the day had cooked some antelope meat by that very campfire and had scattered the remnants all around. The first thing which Fred grasped was a bone upon which still remained considerable half-cooked meat. His hunger was so consuming at that moment that forgetful of the redskin sitting so near, he began gnawing the bone like a famished dog. Never did food taste sweeter and more delicious. If the boy's jaws had been a little stronger he would have crunched up the bone also, but he cleaned it of its nutritious covering so speedily and cleanly that it seemed as if done by some wonderful machinery. When he found that no more remained, he clawed about in the semi-darkness for more and found it. Indeed, it looked very much as if the Kiowas had left one of their rude meals prepared for some expected visitors. When fairly under way, Fred did not stop until he had fully sated his appetite, and there proved to be enough to satisfy all his purpose. Then, when he craved no more, he awoke to a keen realization of the extremely perilous position in which he was placed i had better dig out of here was the thought that came to him as he glanced furtively at the motionless figure he doesn't see me yet but there's no telling how soon he will and now the extraordinary good fortune which had attended the boy up to this time seemed to desert him he had scarcely begun his return to the cover of the rock when he felt a sudden desire to sneeze coming over him He grasped his nose in hope of checking it, but it only made matters worse, and the explosion which instantly followed was twice as great as it would have been otherwise. Poor Fred was in despair. He felt that it was all over and he was powerless to move. He was like one overtaken by a dreadful nightmare when he finds himself unable to escape some appalling evil that is settling down upon him. He turned, with a despairing glance, to the redskin, expecting to see the glitter of his tomahawk or knife as it descended. The warrior did not stir. Could Indian sleep so sound? Surely not, and the boy just then recalled the fate of the sentinel Thompson a couple of nights before i believe he is dead he muttered looking attentively toward him and feeling a speedy return of his courage with a lingering fear and doubt besetting him he crept around the corner of the rock taking one of the bones as he did so and when in position he gave it such a toss that it dropped directly upon the head of the unconscious red man This was not a very prudent way of learning, whether a man was sleeping temporally or eternally, when so much depended upon the decision of the question, for if he were only taking a nap he would be certain to resent the taking of any such liberties with his person. The test, however, was effectual. The bone struck his head and glanced as though it had fallen against the surface of a rock, and Fred could no longer doubt that the Redskin had been slain while sitting in this very attitude by the fire. Such was the case. There had been plotting and counterplotting. While the Kiowas were playing their tricks upon the Apaches, the latter managed, to a certain extent, to turn the tables. When they branched out upon their reconnoitering expedition, Wauko was engaged in the same business." When he discovered the single sentinel sitting by the fire, he crept up like a phantom behind him and drove his hunting knife with such swift silence that his victim gave only a spasmodic quiver and start, and was dead. Wauko placed him in the position he was occupying at the time he first caught sight of him, and then left his companions to learn the truth for themselves, while he crept back to learn that his prisoner had given his captor the slip. Fred Munson was terrified when he found he was standing by the dead form of his friend Thompson a couple of nights before, and so in the present instance a certain awe came over him as it naturally does when a person stands in the presence of death. But for all that the boy was heartily glad, and he had wisdom enough to improve the splendid opportunity that thus came to him and for which he had hardly dared to pray. I don't see what a dead man can want of a gun," he muttered, as he moved rather timidly toward the figure, and therefore it will not be thieving for me to take it. There was a little involuntary shuddering when he grasped the barrel and sought to draw the weapon from its resting place. The inanimate warrior seemed to clutch it as though unwilling to let it go, and the feeling that he was struggling with a dead man was anything but comfortable. Fred persevered, however, and speedily had the satisfaction of feeling that the rifle was in his possession. The weapon was heavy for one of his size, but it was a thousand times preferable to nothing. He stood, hefting it, as the expression goes, and turning it over in his hand when he heard the report of a second gun, this time so close that he started, thinking it had been aimed at him. Such was not the case. But at that moment there came an overpowering conviction that he was doing a most foolhardy thing in remaining so conspicuously in view, when the redskins were liable to return at any moment and wreak their vengeance upon him for the robbery, to say nothing of the death of their comrade, which might be attributed to him. So he hurriedly and quietly withdrew into the outer darkness. End of chapter seventeen. Read by Thomas Rose.